Welcome to Reputation Matters. So we've all heard of the hit TV show Shark Tank, but what would it be like to be the person behind the scenes keeping the water and the proverbial tank calm and the sharks at bay, or tamed as it were? So our guest today is just that man. He helped Mark Cuban complete around 100 business deals on the hit show Shark Tank. He's an entrepreneur in his own right. He truly understands the power of brand and reputation. And more recently, he helped launch the Dallas, Texas-based company Legacy Night. They're a premier multi-family office platform. And more importantly than that, Abe Mankara is just my dear friend. In fact, what a lot of people don't know is that we were dating our wives at the exact same time 20 years ago, uh, and, and we've been happily married to each of them ever since. Abe Mankara, welcome. Thanks for joining us on Reputation Matters. Thanks for having me, my friend. Okay, so I have to ask you first and foremost, what is it like to work for Mark Cuban? It is, um, it's a great experience. I mean, it's a privilege to work with someone as distinguished and accomplished as he is. And um, it's been really, truly a very unique experience. You learn a lot. Yeah. Um, you're always on and you have exposure to a lot of different investments. Um, obviously Shark Tank was one of them, yeah. which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but we also invested in, in other types of businesses as well. So now I want to talk about that, but before we move off Mark, I mean, I remember you telling me at one time he works always by email. Everything is by, by email. What, what's that like? And, and especially in a pre-COVID world. That's a superpower. Um, I mean, keep in mind, it's a large organization and everyone emails Mark and he responds to every email, yeah. not just internal, external. Um, so he, he has that ability to just um, self-manage all of all of his incoming emails and um, responds to everyone. I mean, if let's say if you're sending him an investment opportunity, um, he'll immediately say, "No thanks, not for me." Or if he's interested, tell me more. Yeah. But he'll respond. And he does it all himself. All himself. Yeah, I've had a couple of situations where for civic activities we wanted him to speak. Yeah. And I think I think even you were like, just email him. And sure enough, he, he whether it's yes or no, it's astounding that he gets right back to you. Do you is is he aware or does he think about the perception of him? Uh, or, or whoever he is by doing that, by being so personal, by being so responsive? Is he aware of the, the power of that kind of responsiveness? I think so. I think it's intentional. Um, back to the brand, the power of the brand. I think he has an amazing brand and he's been building it over, over the years and just gets better and better. And his, his commitment to his brand and to his, his mission, basically to empower entrepreneurs. Um, and it's something that I learned from him, um, even to this day, and I'll explain a little bit more what we do at Legacy Night, but we invest at kind of a growth stage um, businesses. Uh, even early stage companies that still reach out to me, yeah. I still respond to every email. And um, kind of it's, for me, it's better to respond and say, you know, you're not a fit for us. These are the criteria for us to invest in you. When you get to that stage, definitely reach out. In the meantime, let me give you some advice on what you should, who you should be connecting with um, and happy to help you out just at a high level on the direction of the company. And then if they come back, great. Yeah. But at least 
I kind of commit myself to take that step versus just not responding at all because it's not a fit. Well, it's, right? a, it's a powerful lesson because you never know who, you're, who is going to be your friend later. You never know. Right? Yeah. And you never know when you might need something. For, you know, I remember my mentor taught me as long as it's legal, ethical, moral, never pass up an opportunity to yeah. do a favor. And sometimes the, just the power of a response. Exactly. Have you noticed his brand, his personal reputation evolving? And let me tell you what I mean. I mean, when I first started, of course, you, you, it was the Yahoo sale. And then it was the owner of the Mavericks. And, and my impression in so many ways was the guy who would sit, you know, under the basket and scream at the referees. But that almost seems like ancient history now. His, his brand has changed so much. What, what are your observations about his, his brand and who he is? Yeah, it's continually evolving, right? Um, there's always a, a bigger platform um, that Mark is going to be going after. Um, you know, Shark Tank was a great platform, um, and it really aligned with um, what I believe is its mission to be kind of a someone, an ambassador, someone who empowers entrepreneurship in the country, in the U.S. and around the world now. Um, you know, now that Shark Tank is um, is viewed all over the world through the syndication on CNBC, um, and I think though, but there's other things. I mean, if you look at some of the more recent projects that Mark is working on, like Cost Plus Drug Company. I mean, that is a really disrupt, disruptive business model. And I think he's gonna, it's another way for Mark to just elevate his brand and, and make a difference, change the world, and do something good. Yeah. And if, I don't know if you've noticed, but Cost Plus Drug Company in a very short period of time has been able to provide so much value for individuals needing access to drugs generic drugs um, and what his platform offers is cost plus so you so it's really helping people uh, that are in need to get access to the medication at a more affordable price than what's currently available in the market tell me a little bit about your role with him did you ever find yourself in a position where you were giving him advice on his reputation or his personal brand like, Mark, that's not a good idea, you're gonna come off this way, or, hey, you're being, you are already perceived this way if you do that, or, or did it, was it more on the deals? It was more on the deals, yeah. I think Mark's got everything else covered, um, <laughs> so he's really good at it. Um, on the deal side, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of deals um, in his portfolio, and it's just a matter of, basically sometimes, um, Maybe a slight miscommunication could create um, some contention. In, and it's just about just clarifying and the messaging and um, making sure everyone has all the information relevant to the situation so um, you can get back to more of a constructive conversation yeah. and not kind of spiral into a lot of um, conflict and drama. And you see that a lot with um, early stage companies and entrepreneurs the way they communicate with their investors, um, it's, and sometimes it comes from the entrepreneurs themselves. They're just not used to communicating um, to their investors. Maybe they, they've never had investors before. They're running their own ship, and, yeah. and now they get to a stage where they need that growth capital, and they're bringing on these new investors. There's a certain dynamic, though, you, it, in terms of how you communicate to investors, 
because there's a certain expectation now. You have partners. Yeah. And um, they want to make money. They want to make money, but they also want to support you. Hmm. So, um, what we've seen is where there is a mis usually a lack of communication and from a branding perspective. You know, at an early stage, the founder uh, CEO is really the the representation of the brand of the company. Yeah. Um, and when early stage investors are looking at, you know, you've heard the term investing in the, in the job, you know, in the, betting on the jockey, right? Yeah. And, and that's what investors do at an early stage. Um, it's all about the entrepreneur's ability to execute. And the better communicator he or she is, the better chance they have to kind of navigate through all the challenges and use their, um, their network of investors, advisors, to overcome all these challenges, because they're always going to be challenges. Well, because in a way they're salespeople, right? yeah. but without it seeming salesy. Right? They're either salespeople or they're technical people, right? Yeah. All right, I have to ask you, sorry, last question on Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I promise. What is the best, well, it's two questions in one. What's the best piece of advice you ever gave him that he took? What's the best piece of advice you ever gave him that he didn't take? Can you remember? The best piece of advice I gave him? Yeah. I don't think I've given him any advice. <laughs> I was on the receiving end. I got a lot of great advice. From okay. Him. Yeah. And you know, the one thing that resonates is, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's all about sales. It doesn't matter what business you're in. Without sales, you're dead. So always keep that in mind. And you're always selling, no matter what part of the business you're kind of focusing your efforts. Everybody should have their sales hat on every time. Back to, to the branding side, whenever an employee goes out and is facing with clients, vendors, prospects, um, they're always a representation of your brand. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind. And as the leader of that organization, you have to be kind of the top ambassador and you kind of push that to your employees. And if you can do that, then you have um, a pretty good foundation because that's where kind of the, the cultural aspect, um, your employees tend to be more loyal to the firm, uh, more fulfilled and, and more aligned with the mission of the company, right? Yeah. Because that's what you want. You want your employees to be your brand ambassadors and you want like, your customers to be your brand ambassadors. And if you can do those two right, I think you're, you're on your way. You're on your way. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Shark Tank and what your role was. So how, how did it work? Cuban would say, I mean, obviously said no, if he said no, he's out and you never see him or hear from the, the investment opportunity again. But if he said yes, what would happen behind the scenes and what was your role? Shark Tank, the whole season, it usually airs in October, ends in May. Um, it's filmed earlier that year. They do a week in June and a week in September where they lock all the sharks in the studios from day to night and they bring out of 40,000 at the time applicants, they're na narrowed down to about 150. Wow. And those entrepreneurs get to pitch. And the average pitch would last probably about an hour. Um, on TV, they, they edit it down to maybe like three to five minutes. Yeah. 
Um, so it's a true pitch. And so there's a lot of back and forth. It's completely non-scripted, no retakes. So if you screw up, there's a good chance the editors might put, put that segment on TV because it creates some more drama. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's the beauty of the show. It's a completely non-scripted show. Um, whatever happens on the show is to some degree kind of packaged in that segment. And when you see a shark walk up to the entrepreneurs and give them kind of commit to a deal and do a handshake deal on it, it's a true commitment to invest, assuming no red flags in, in the diligence phase. So let's say a shark would commit to 10 deals in June, right? Those 10 deals, every shark has a team that would start working on each, with each one of those entrepreneurs. And they have a checklist, making sure the sales numbers that they pitched in, um, are accurate. You know, uh, their financials are what they claimed they were. Um, the IP that they, they claimed actually holds um, and can be protected. And then any commitments they had from, let's say, vendors yeah. that they were using kinda to, to close their pitch are there. Could be a variety of things, the lawsuits they didn't disclose. You never know. But if any of those kind of um, check, check off as a red flag, then most likely the deal's off. And so even though on the show, you might see a handshake shake deal, in reality, that, that investment didn't happen. So it's not, it's, if, if the investment happens, doesn't happen later, it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that the handshake won't appear on the show. Like it could still appear on the show even though later down the road the deal yeah would fall so apart. so in the earlier seasons um, you would more likely see a handshake deal yeah. and after the fact the company did not actually close with the shark I think in more most in the more recent um, seasons of Shark Tank they've changed that yeah and uh, they've they've noticed it created some confusion and there were also some entrepreneurs that taking were taking advantage of that platform. Mm. So they were kind of doing anything it takes to get a handshake deal so they can get on the show and get the episode aired. And after the fact, they would just drag their feet because they didn't really want to give up equity. So it was a marketing ploy on There's the a few companies pictures. that got away with it. And then eventually, I think the, uh, the producers put together a new plan, which is, more, which is more geared towards making sure to only air companies that the sharks have already confirmed that they've closed on, well, which makes more sense. It, it makes more sense for the integrity of the show, but yeah. also it goes back to a tried and true like reputation. That's true. One hundred and one, yeah. which is be honest, do the right thing, because if you don't, it's going to catch up with you later. Right. And I know that I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I mean, bottom line, that's that's always true. So, okay, so Cuban says yes, the deal goes through. What was your role? What did you do? So, as part of the team, like our team made sure. These companies, um, one, the first thing we need to do is we supported these companies at every level, right? We had we had existing companies. We're always bringing on new companies from Shark Tank. Um, we try to support them, um, in our, from day one operationally, making sure that any of the operational gaps on day one, um, through our net internal network, external network, try to support them and. The first requirement is to make sure that they can maximize the impact of the show because it's a big platform. 
Right. And it's for you to make it through all of this, the stages of going through kind of the email interviews or more like the American Idol type um, kind of pitches where you have to wait in line um, for a whole day to get an, an opportunity to pitch. Um, all filters down to the day you actually get invited to the studio and then your chances of actually getting a handshake deal and then closing the deal. So to get through all these stages, you want to make sure that, okay, you made it, but this is just the beginning. There's now, a ton of hurdles. There's a lot of hurdles. And this is your opportunity really to take your company through this amazing platform and, and try to give it as much exposure as possible. Now, from a branding perspective, Shark Tank already has this brand appeal, right? Yeah. So by associating your brand with Shark Tank, you already have kind of huge boost. a huge boost. And we've seen companies do some significant sales on their website. Um, the evening of Aaron and Shark Tank and throughout the week, that weekend as well. Uh, one of the challenges we had in the early days, um, websites used to crash. This was maybe, oh. I would say 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the biggest challenge is make there, at the time, there weren't enough robust e-commerce platforms out there that could support the traffic from Shark Tank. And so imagine going, watching this great pitch, going on their website, there's nothing there. You can't, so, you can't buy it. So it's a big miss. It was a big miss for all of these entrepreneurs because you're losing all that momentum. And Shark Tank game really is, you get on this platform and you want to maximize the momentum as much as you can. Yeah. Because the majority of companies after a year lose that Shark Tank effect and a lot of them unfortunately get back to their pre-Shark Tank revenue norm. And the, the few exceptions that really do well keep growing and growing and growing. And, and from, again, a reputation perspective, what was the difference for, between the ones who kind of went back and then the ones who really propelled and kept going and going and going? What did they do? I mean, obviously, they took advantage of the Shark Tank yeah. platform, but at some point, weeks and weeks and weeks pass, they got to be doing something else. And you were kind of an internal consultant, it sounds like. Yes, I mean, we are we are true partners with our entrepreneurs, trying to support them. Um, even though we didn't have controlling equity, um, we we tried to provide him as much um, um, support uh, because we, we you know we're looking after our invested investment in the company, yeah. right? So we would help him from preparing them for the initial launch on the show and then try to get them through all the momentum in, in, in terms of sales. Because once you have um, a more solid operational foundation, then you could scale, right? You can't just go to Walmart if you don't have your manufacturing manufacturer um, ready for a Walmart order. Uh, you don't have the team and systems in place to manage a big order from an Amazon or a Walmart. So, you're be missing out on the opportunity. So once you have the foundation, then you can go and really leverage the network. And that's one thing that we did really well is we started building a network of partners for all of our companies so we can help accelerate growth. But we need to make sure they have the right foundation to scale. So after the foundation, I mean, were you giving them marketing and PR advice 
to, to for here's here's what you need to do to protect your reputation to get to the next level to market yourself to tell your story yeah actually yeah we would give him high-level advice on kind of lessons what we've experienced in terms of what makes a successful company on Shark Tank what are the things they should do to maximize their opportunity to thrive um, on the airing of the show and then beyond that um, and the thing is like even though we give the advice, not all the entrepreneurs follow our advice to the T. Um, but the ones that do, most of them actually really do well. Can you boil down the difference? Again, from more of the marketing side, the, one, the ones that made it and are still making it versus the ones that kind of fizzled out. What, again, from a reputation perspective, what, what was the difference? I guess the difference is because Shark Tank, if you look at it as a platform, it's a great platform for consumer product goods, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why you don't see a lot of like Services. B2B SaaS businesses yeah. there. Um, and the, the, the consumer of Shark Tank loves kind of that immediate gratification of going on the website and buying a product because they just fell in love with the entrepreneur and the idea, right? So if you're a consumer product, and so the successful ones usually are companies that appeal to the masses. That's why you know, some of the, the popular names, Scrub Daddy, you know, uh, uh, Squatty Potty, uh-huh. uh, uh, Dude Wipes. It's funny, yeah. they're all in the... In, yeah, in the, they're in, all in, in the, the toilet. toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, they, you know, it's something that everybody could need, yep. right? And usually their price point's affordable. It's not something that is a luxury item. And those products do well, especially if you have a product that, um, you know, eventually could be on a subscription model. Yeah. And so you use your 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 branding on Shark Tank to really leverage your exposure, and then it's up to you as a brand to continually engage and provide more value to our customers over time. So you have to innovate too, right? right. You're never going to make it on Shark Tank with just one product. Um, it could be one product, but you have to, you know, you build around it. You mean you're never going to make it after Shark Tank? Well, you can't just, I mean, you can. We've seen companies that get on Shark Tank. It's always just a one product I hit, see. right? Got it, got it. And those are the ones who don't really evolve. Because one product brand, there's a few that really make it. Um, if you really want a big company, you have to really think about, now that you have the customer, what else can we provide that customer? Now that we have their trust, um, we've we've done our job in terms of the the brand that we're representing, the the quality of product we're we're providing. What else can we do to serve our client? And those are the companies that do well. You you said something else a moment ago that I think is is really important, which is if the viewers fall in love with the owner, and I think that's so important. We spend a lot of time talking about the role of the leader, the C-suite. Like, well, I'll deal with a lot of CEOs who will say like, oh, I wanna push my people forward, or uh, we wanna stay below the radar, uh, right? <laughs> but the fact is, is you can't have it both ways. You can't be wildly successful and stay below the radar. And there's only one CEO, yeah. right? There's only one leader. So why not it be you, right? Yeah. And use that the power, and I think I think your point is is so important because if people love a great story, and even if the product is just so so, or maybe 
a little more expensive than they would ordinarily pay. If they really like the person and the personality behind it or their story, they're going to buy and maybe later invest. That's right. I mean, that's why a lot of celebrity brands these days, you're seeing a lot more of them because they have fans. People love their celebrities and whatever the celebrity offers as a product, right. there's a good chance they're going to buy it. Even if it's crap. Even if it's crap, yeah. <laughs> Not to continue the pun. But, but on Shark Tank, I mean, that's why what I love about it. It's, it's a great, the way I see it, it's one of the best educational platforms on TV. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's great when I hear my friends um, kind of watch Shark Tank with their kids. Yeah. And their kids are becoming kind of savvy in entrepreneurs, investors at a very young age. And, you know, it's great when you see like a 12-year-old girl on Shark Tank entrepreneur go, go on the show and get a deal from a shark. So imagine if you're a 12-year-old boy or girl watching kind of someone your age getting a deal from one of the sharks with an idea that she actually took from the ideation phase to a, a product and was able to navigate through all these different challenges to get on the show and get a deal. You're like, I could do this. Yes. And I think it's very impactful. Be on the lookout for part two of my conversation with Abe Mankara and his Shark Tank story, where we discuss some of his other ventures, including Legacy Night and Bold for Men. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reputation Matters. Find us at sunwestpr.com or your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.